The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Hey, and welcome back to Let's Red Table That. I'm Tracy T. Rowe. And I'm Cara Presley, and I'm so glad that we're back to share the second half of our conversation with Ernest Krim III and Dr. Susan Glisson. Yes. Listen, if you have not heard part one, pause the episode right now, scroll on back using whichever app you use, and listen to last week's episode because it was really impactful. The discussion about the Red Table Talk episode of Psychology of Hate was one for the books. Yes, it was. And today we're sharing part two. We will dive even deeper into the topic shared at the Red Table and our guests' personal experiences fighting against hate. Ooh, it was a lot, but let's mm. get into it. Dia explained that she views racism as an issue of the heart. And she said, Hate is not something that you can confront with my facts against your facts because it's emotional. You have to be able to reach somebody's heart. So, Ernest, you gave a historical context to issues of the present day. So you're coming at these issues from a different way from Dia. But what results have you seen from teaching your students and others true Black history? Yeah, so something really interesting about my teaching experience is I've taught in a diverse environment. So my intention initially was I'm going to teach all Black kids all the time. And I quickly realized that I'm in America. The overarching goal is to do that because I know what this means to us. But I always say now, like I'm teaching to Black people. But if you have a ear and a heart for it, you can listen in too. But just know it's not going to always be for you. So I taught at a school where it was like predominantly Hispanic you have kids who were undocumented, white kids who lived in a rural town. It looked like the South in a lot of ways. White kids uh-huh. who lived in urban environments, white kids who had a lot of money, black kids who had a lot of money, black kids who didn't. So I, I was in a diverse environment racially and economically. Wow. And one of the things I realized, and this is a premise of my book, actually, and it's a study done by a professor at Harvard and the University of Pittsburgh, and it says that when Black children are taught to have racial pride, they perform better academically. So, like, you can really put, you can put something on these teachings. We are implicitly and sometimes explicitly taught to believe that we are inferior. This has been stated several times today and on the episode, and white children are implicitly and explicitly taught that they are superior. We have to consciously nip that in the bud. I've had kids tell me, and I'm glad I have this in my phone under favorites because I have to show this to people for testimonials sometimes because sometimes people think you're just talking to talk, right? Right. I had a young man reach out to me. 
He said, Mr. Krim, I wanted to tell you your content really helped me, especially throughout my chemotherapy, learning about the history of America, especially with being Jamaican and American myself. Learning about it is interesting. Keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate it and much love to you. I had somebody tell me that I love your videos. They give me a sense of pride I've never had before. When I was on Gam's podcast with my brother, John Lucas, like we worked together we are helping kids get into HBCUs, Ivy League schools, top schools like USC, or going to entrepreneurship if they want. We're giving them scholarship money. Yes. A lot of this oftentimes is helping kids realize that they have the potential to do something. But going back to my previous point, I've had white students tell me that I've made a difference. And I never thought I would, just being real. After my first or second year teaching, I had a white child. This boy lived in a neighboring town, Confederate flag, all of that. Kids you not. In class, kid was great. Right. But online, you have the Confederate thing. He sent me a message one time. It was like, Mr. Cram, you are the only teacher that ever believed in me. Oh, oh wow. You are the only, and you're the reason why I passed my exam to get into the military. Wow. I have parents. I'm, te I'm teaching an online black history course now. I have a parent who's from Philly, but she had to move, I believe, it was uh, Montana or Wyoming. One of those states we always forget about. Don't get mad at me if y'all oh, listening goodness. from those states. No offense, I'm just saying. Right. No disrespect. Understood. <laughs> but she was saying that she loved my class because our child is able to learn from a Black educator who's teaching her these important principles, and she's able to be in an environment with other Black children. At the same time, she said she's learning so much. She said, it's almost like the stories you hear when you're growing up, like the stories that your family passed down to you can give you courage or it can deflate you. And what I'm right. doing with uh -huh. history is saying we've dealt with some horrible things and some amazing things. But at the end of the day, we've countered this before. Yeah. We just have to remind ourselves of what was done and recreate that in this generation. Yes, yes, yes. yes. No, I love that. That was actually my next question. Have you seen others evolve in real time? And have you been in one interaction that shifted someone's mindset? And what I'm hearing, I feel like I had a little revelation. Going back to the person who like wanted to see that fear in someone's eyes. And then like you said, that boy was confederate in one place, but really listening in another space, it's like just that false security. Mm -hmm. I think we all want to be affirmed and revered and acknowledged and just seen and you're helping people to see that. You're helping me see that just right here in this. And Tracy, I told you too, like I'm constantly evolving and learning and unlearning just what I thought I knew. And it's a great place to be in. I hope everyone's having the same types of revelations as they're listening in because this is all key. Say, so I think the key and something I've learned while teaching in diverse environments is, especially when you're teaching like a white child that comes from a history of this, is you have to understand that these people are individuals. And like Dr. Gleason experienced, like they did not do what was done, but they were born into an environment in which it was done. Kids are born into an unequal world. Mm -hmm. and, and they're born into a world in which they're taught that certain people have more because they are more. Right. And, and mm -hmm. other people have less because there are less. And then as they sort of come of age and people start telling them that the source of their struggles are those other people right, yeah. who don't look like them, that causes them to then hate them. So in a way, kids in our society, we almost provide them with this unfortunate foundation to hate. So you have to make sure you're teaching them the facts and removing them individually, but also understanding and letting them know that they have the capacity to benefit from those tragedies or do something to change the course of history. And one of the things that I think is very important, I think Dr. Kendi touched on this as well, is making sure that whenever we show our black children the negativity that happened, you counter it and show them people who fought. And the same thing has to also be done if you're teaching a white child that too. Because if you're going to constantly see that if you want to help, but you never see yourself helping, now you should have the capacity to say, I can still do this. But we're talking children. Right it will make it difficult to see how you fit into this puzzle. Right. True. I want to acknowledge that the fear has been the common denominator. It was true for Jeff. It was true for Jeff's grandfather. It was true for the quote-unquote harasser that you had, Ernest. The fear and the trauma right, from whatever someone experienced has translated or manifested itself into trauma for someone else. What I love in this is that for you, Ernest, you have literally taken your traumatic experience 
And the experience literally propelled you to the forefront and positioned you for your purpose. When you can have students from every socioeconomic background and from every creed and from every race and color tell you that what you're doing has moved them and shifted their mindsets, you're really, truly walking in your purpose. Thank you. That is phenomenal. Appreciate that. And the real time will pay dividends beyond our existence, right? The people that you touched, those fresh hearts that are open to the change, will then share that with their friends and then their family members and their neighbors. And it will literally become a snowball of goodness and hope because that's what we really need. I'm just grateful that you're doing this. And I'm grateful that you're sharing with us and that you're here at this virtual red table. It's so important. Thank you for sharing that. Jeff said that all it took for him to change was finally experiencing a one-on-one interaction with an actual person from a group that he hated. When she was talking to me about how she felt as a child, mm-hmm. how racism, how hatred made her feel diminished or less than, mm-hmm. something inside of me snapped. Susan, how have your connections or relationships that you've had with people who didn't and don't have the same background as you shaped your point of view? I, I can go all the way back to my ninth grade birthday party right, where I invited all the kids who had come to the first and second grade party, who were all white. It was 1975. Schools had just been desegregated in 1970 in Georgia and across the South. And we got ready. My mama put out the dog, right? She had the this crystal punch bowl with the sherbet punch, right, two right. sheet cakes. We were ready to celebrate. I was counting my loot in my head. And I invited a new friend who I had met in third grade. Her name was Lisa. And the day the party came, And the time for the party uh, arrived, and no one had come into the driveway. And I sat on the porch, and I, you know, did I take my cootie shot? What did I do? What happened? What happened? Yeah. And my mom's getting phone calls inside the house. And what she's being told is, oh, my goodness, we just forgot that we had this event, and we're not going to be able to come to the party. And these are folks we went to church with. And then a car pulled into the driveway, and it was Lisa. And she got out, and... I was a tomboy, so I was, you know, whatever, in some messed up blue jeans. And she had this lovely, like, apricot confection of ruffles. And she just looked fabulous. I immediately, like, again, I don't even know. I'm Why am I? What am I doing? She's so much better than I am. And in that moment, my mother could have done a lot of things. She could have been rude to Lisa because she's been told that now her child is persona non grata because she's invited a black child to her party. She could have waited until afterwards and said, we probably ought not invite folks like that over again. That's not what my mama did. What my mama did was to say, that's just more cake for y'all. Oh my gosh, I love your mama. I know. That is the best thing ever. Do you hear me? Because you were getting ready to have a wang dang doodle. Two sheet cakes and a crystal punch ball. I mean, crystal punch with sherbet punch. punch. That's a real party. I don't know. You just can't get any better than that in ninth grade here in, in the South. You just, I mean, you were ready to have a real deal party. For me to try to wonder what was her experience of that event, right? I don't right. know. She was two grades uh, ahead of me. She was a relative of p- people that my brothers were friends with, which is how I got okay. to know her. But I needed to try to start to wonder how did that affect her? And then in 12th grade, Allison Williams just spectacular person, beautiful human being. And she was the first Black student to win the Miss Evans High School pageant. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited for her. She was my good friend. And the annual came out. And normally the pageant winner would have been splashed across the annual. And all they did was put the picture of all of the women who were in the pageant and a little corner shot of her, right? Ugh. And to see how devastated she was to not have that celebrated in the way that all the white girls who'd won it before had been celebrated, that empathy, the ability to be able to start to see life through her eyes Uh and through Lisa's eyes and then going forward, it's that kind of intimacy. Uh It's not enough to be proximate. It's not enough. It's not enough to be working side by side. We have to get to know each other's stories. We have to touch each other's hearts. Uh We've got to listen to what matters to us most, and that's what's going to change what we're dealing with. 
were those experiences some of what you had that moved you to create the Glisten Group? I've been lucky enough to be in Mississippi now for 25 years, and I was the founding director of the Winter Institute for Racial Reconciliation at the University of Mississippi. And through that job, I helped to force Ole Miss to acknowledge the so-called in quotation marks, Ole Miss, it's a slavery term, to apologize for the exclusion of African-Americans to the University of Mississippi in 2002 at the 40th anniversary of the of that riot. And that led to being invited into Neshoba County on the 40th anniversary of the murders of the three civil rights workers there, James Cheney, Andy Goodman, and Mickey Schwerner. And I worked for 18 months with a multiracial group of folks to call for justice in that case. And it eventually led to the first state conviction of the ringleader of the murders. But the whole time I was there, the university tried to stop me from doing that work, right? The chancellor at the time when I was invited to Neshoba County said, you can do tourism, but we don't really want you to get involved in justice. Well, we don't get reconciliation without justice, sir. That's right. Luckily, I had mentors and advocates who said, you need to keep doing what you're doing. But after a while, you just have to, you have to leave and go to a place where you can do good work without having to fight somebody from stopping you to trying to do the work. So that's why I left the university oh. after 20 years and created this group. You did not want to have to fight someone else so that you could fight against something else bigger. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. That's good. Thank you for the work because it's important. And I can tell you as a woman of color, I get tired of hearing about what we're supposed to do to change things. It is exhausting. Yes. And so I am grateful that you recognize, not just recently, it hasn't been this new awakening, that you understood long ago and far away the impact and the hate and what it does to a person. So I'm grateful that you get it and that you identify that you need to sit down and get some other white people at the table for them to also identify and recognize they need to make some efforts too. I appreciate that. It's not a drop in the bucket to what needs to be done. So there's plenty more work to do. I'm really excited. I get to share with y'all something that I haven't been able to tell anybody, which is that for the last two years, I've been leading reconciliation conversations between the descendants of Arlington House, which was Robert E. Lee's plantation. Whoa! They have come together, <laughs> and the first action they're going to take is there was a bill that dropped last week jointly in the Senate and the House to remove Robert E. Lee's name from Arlington House because it's called Arlington House at Arlington Cemetery, the Robert E. Lee Memorial. Mm. And the descendants have come together to ask that name, Robert E. Lee, be removed from the memorial so that all the stories of that place can be told. So I encourage folks to reach out to your your senators and your congressmen and get on board with that vote. Yeah. Bravo. That's huge. Yes. That's powerful. That's powerful. Robert E. Lee is all around Richmond. Yeah, I thought about you earlier when you were talking about that, right? This is the descendants of the enslaved persons at that plantation and the descendants of Robert E. Lee V has joined that call to take that name off of that house. I wish I could sit down with those descendants. Robert I mean, E. Lee wow. is so many spinning in his grave right now, don't you know? I hope so. I hope he <laughs> is. Bless his heart. And you mean that in the most Southern kind of I way. I do, in the most Bless Southern kind of way. heart. In the most Southern mm-hmm. kind of way. <laughs> I love it. Bless his heart. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. 
Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily. As I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which is morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she as my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, another topic that the people at the Red Table got into was gun violence, and we heard from forensic psychologist Jillian Peterson, who explained that based on her research, mass shootings come from a person blaming a group of people for their struggle and getting revenge or making a statement in this way. So we now collectively witness these shootings every day almost, it feels like, when it's going down, but more often than we'd like. And now we even have footage from cell phones and things like that. People look at this footage and they should feel the same way, but they don't. People claim something happened. They claim this happened. They claim they saw that. So they do this by labeling these shootings differently based on who is holding the gun and where the shooting happens or passing blame from guns to mental health and mental health issues. Ernest, let me ask you, how has video footage, we know you have some famous video footage, but how has that affected these conversations? How would your situation have even changed if there wasn't that footage available? Definitely, it's twofold because in one respect, Mm -hmm. speaking about racism, I think that for the first time, we are collectively seeing the racism that our ancestors dealt with for so long, just in a different generation, of course. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about shootings, personally, I feel as though it's re-traumatizing us collectively. Yes, I agree. Because that's one thing that all Americans, I believe, agree on, that these things are tragic, even though oftentimes it does not persuade people enough to change things legislatively. When you hear about children, when you hear about people in schools or at parades, we can all relate because we have Black folks who were stolen with guns, traded for guns. We have this land that was conquered with guns. We all kind of have that in common a little bit. We don't need to see the footage of the police in Uvalde, Texas. We know how horrible they were in that situation. It's re-traumatizing us. And the same can be said, too, when we see racist videos for black folks that can re-traumatize us, for white folks, for those who want to know more. A lot of times, that can be their first time seeing something like that. And I was envisioning this timetable I want to kind of make you all privy to. So black folks were brought here for the purpose of enslavement, even beyond 1619 in the English colonies, 1526 for the Spanish colonies in South Carolina. So we're talking roughly 300 plus years of enslavement. We get cameras photography around. They're more ubiquitous around the 1850s or 60s. Chattel slavery concludes, so-called concludes in 1865, or as I say, transition to to prison. So we're talking roughly 
10 to 15 years of footage from enslavement. We know how bad slavery is, and we don't even have proof, visually proof. Visual proof is what I mean. Right, we know what right, happens, right. right? And it's already traumatic. Imagine if we saw a video of the lashings, a video of Kuta Kente getting whipped like that. It's, it's tough for me to watch. I get angry. I have to turn away when it comes on a lot of times, right? I watched Birth of a Nation and was traumatized. And I was like, why, why did I watch that? Imagine what Nat Turner went through and then imagine what he did and then what they did to him. They were still passing his skull around as recent as five years ago. I just can't imagine. I just literally can't. Let me tell you, to your point, Ernest, there is a phenomenal historical place that you can go to when you visit Memphis mm -hmm. called Slave Haven. In Slave Haven, it's a house. It was part of the Underground Railroad. And if you go to Slave Haven, Dr. Susan, I know you're not and you've been there, I know. And it gives you the opportunity to go down into what we would now call the basement or cellar. Mm. It's real. It's the actual space. And it shows just a little, like, one-inch diameter hole that they had to breathe from while they were literally in the Underground Railroad, participating, actively engaged in trying to be free. Go in that space and then come up and see those restraints that were used on the necks and on the hand. It, it's a lot. It's heavy. It's a lot of trauma. It's heavy. And so when you start talking about gun violence mm. and mass shootings, mm. I am absolutely horrified when I see that happen, period. Mm -hmm. But then the way that it's labeled, the way that it's labeled when we have the mass shootings is so different than the way that it's labeled when we have gun violence that happens allegedly between quote-unquote, gang members. Mm -hmm. So I I just, I have a real hard time when it comes to gun violence because people are getting killed every day by guns, like we said, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. We just know we have footage of it now. We know we can see it. Mm -hmm. But when there's a white man with a gun who goes to a, a church and kills people and after sitting with them, he's walked out peacefully. And then given something to eat. Yet, conversely, how many times have we seen footage of someone who's just pulled over for an alleged traffic violation and literally killed? Right. That's gun violence, too. And so I just... Right. Y'all can take this and go where you want with it. I'm encouraging people who are listening to us to send us emails and tell us more about what you think, because this is not just the four of us. This is a conversation we're all having. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested in knowing, mm. how do we reconcile that? Ooh. <laughs> That's a tough one. And, and you bring up some very important disparities in how this is discussed. And it's something that, being from Chicago, when they had the mass shooting in Highland Park not too long ago, and seeing that reaction versus the reaction of what happens in Chicago. What I really hate is when it happens in a white community, it's, oh, how could this happen here? I can't believe this. Firstly, we need to understand that the reason that community can be perceived as safe is because of the violence that happened before. <laughs> okay? Like, in any, any community that's safe in America precedes violence. Like, violence created the walls of the illusion of safety. But when it's discussed in our neighborhoods, it's from the standpoint of, oh, look at them, they're black on black crime. Oh, look at, no, 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 no. I, I just saw a story recently, y'all. They were talking about the, the crime in Austin on the west side of Chicago and talking about how it's the most violent neighborhood. And I retweeted it. I said, no, it's the neighborhood that's been afflicted with systemic racism the most. Mm. The media never wants to give us context. It's almost, oh, y'all just tripping. Do better, black people. No, we didn't create this. Right. <laughs> We're in a structure that's supposed to create what you see. The system works the way it is. So we have to dissect that bias, and we have to add this context so we can understand the different ways in which violence manifests, because it's not always the same root. We're dealing with trauma on all ends, but when we talk about mental health in our community, it's y'all will be okay. Try harder. Pray about it. Pray about, Pray about it. it. <laughs> you always so strong. Yeah. Don't want to be. Oh, man. Right. Yeah. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi 
and Dr. Jillian Peterson both said that the burden of change should not be put on the oppressed people. In fact, Dr. Kendi said, Particularly in, in white supremacist spaces, the people who can be the most powerful are the white people. Yeah. Right. If a white person stands up and says, mm. no, that's wrong, <laughs> right. there's going to be a certain level of respect yeah. shown to that. Susan, in your work at the Glisten Group, do you find you are able to reach the hearts and minds of white people? And at the same time, how do you ensure that you're approaching your work with humility and acknowledgement of your privilege in these spaces? So I'm going to tell you a story because the neuroscientists tell us that our brains respond more to story than to facts. Mm. And that's how our work is effective. I was invited in 2005 to help try to figure out how to commemorate Emmett Till Mm. and his murder by a group of Black elected officials. And there was a pastor in the room, understandably suspicious. This white chick comes over from Ole Miss and she thinks she's going to help us do something about Emmett Till, and he waited till everyone else had spoken, and he said, so other than being here to make money off the blood of a martyr, why are you here? Whoa. And that's heavy, right? But he had every right and maybe even the obligation to ask that question. And my job was to sit there and listen and take that because he had no reason to trust me until I could maybe do some work that would earn his trust. And that's what it took. The other folks who invited me there, so we invited her here. She's just done this work in Neshoba County. You know, so we want to give it a shot. And so thank goodness and fortunately that folks were willing to give me that shot. It's not personal to me, right? I'm representing folks who have been traumatized and harmed and colonized and all the things, right? So that's my work that I have to deal with. That's not not anybody else's problem. So we wanted to move forward with an apology. And there was a white man who was the largest plantation owner in the Delta at the time. And he said he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He didn't have anything to apologize for. He didn't kill Emmett Till. His parents didn't kill Emmett Till. He had nothing to do with it. And the group was going to break apart. And a white woman in the group, who he trusted, asked him if he'd be willing to let me come and visit with him. And he said, sure, but she's not going to change my mind. Really? So that's okay. If you'll let me come visit with you, that'll be great. So I drove over the hour and a half, went into his home with his wife. And I said, just tell me, what it was What was it like growing up here? What was it like in the 1950s when this happened? And he talked about the pride that he felt of that community and his lament that wasn't more advanced. There's not even a traffic light in the county where this happened. And so I listened to him talk about that love, right? Two hours, I listened to him share stories with me. And at the end, I said, Mr. Michener, you love your community and you are sad that there hasn't been more development, but there's a jury of 12 men that stood up and said it was okay to kill a child, to torture him overnight and kill him and throw him in a river because he happened to be a black child. And because y'all didn't stand up at the time and say that that verdict was wrong, that's the opinion that stands for this community. And why would anybody want to put a traffic light here or any other business for that matter? Why would anybody want to do that? So unless and until somebody challenges that narrative from this community, nothing is going to change. It's not fair, right? Sure, you didn't do it. It's not fair. But is it right? Yeah, it's right for you to stand up and say that what was done in your name by citizens who were duly elected to serve on a jury did in your name. Uh And so I handed him this statement that we had written. There was a statement of apology. And he said, give me the statement. I'm probably not going to change it, you know, probably not going to sign it. But give me the statement. And I said, absolutely. Just thank you for your time. And I left. Two weeks later, we had a meeting and he walked in and he said, we need to pass this statement as a group. He entered the statement into the group's record and said, please, let's vote for this. And he'd only changed two words. Wow. But it was listening to his story and taking him seriously and then trying to share, if you want this dream of your community to be manifested, then you got to do the work that it's going to take to remove the obstacles in place. I love that you're literally rewriting history. Yeah. You're correcting history with truth. Uh Uh-huh. And you're removing those blinders, those rose-colored glasses, those make-believe fairy tale stories people have given themselves, and you are just giving it the raw, unfiltered truth. 
That is what we need more of. We need more truth. We need more truth. We need more truth. We need more truth. And we need more white folks that understand that we need Black leadership. We need to listen to Black leadership. I haven't been able to do anything that I've done without Black leaders first preparing the way for me to come into a community. You are both doing great work to change how people think and treat each other. But obviously, none of us have our minds totally straight. We can all kind of veer back and forth. We all have our experiences, perspectives, even upbringings that shape certain biases. So for both of you who are out here in these streets doing the work, how do you both work to keep your biases in check and fight against them? For me, it goes back to understanding that the purpose of... Our system, now as an educator, I go to the education system. The purpose is not for me to be an empowered Black man. So I have to start from that basis and understand that potentially everything I learned was a lie. And not to say that it was factually a lie, but it was the facts were skewed and used for a particular purpose. I'm not the person I am today because of the K-12 through CPS system, but I am the way I am because I eventually went back and questioned everything. And Dr. Kendi spoke about that, about raising anti-racist children. It's critical thinking. It's forcing them to ask why. I always question, why do I think that? Why do I perceive that? And I think the thing that I can say that probably all of us can connect to is the fact that as a Black American who descends from those who were enslaved, you have a unique history because you don't know exactly where you're from. Like I did the African ancestry test, but it still feels weird to not be able to see like these were the people who were forced on the ship or whatever, right? So like there's a disconnect in a lot of ways. We are unique in this country because we have a lot of the African cultural norms, but then we had to mix it up and we had to hide it a little bit. So when I was growing up, my perception of Africa was poverty. It was sickness. Like I didn't learn about Africa in school. Wow. We took world history in high school. We started with ancient Greece and Rome, not knowing that they went to Africa to learn. I thought it was just me. I always thought, why didn't they come get us? I was always like a little upset. Like, why didn't they just come get us? But okay, go ahead. Exactly. Kara, why didn't they come get us? Because there's the door of no return over there. And I'm like... Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's heavy. (laughs) It's heavy. That is super heavy. I had a friend, I believe it was sixth grade. Yeah, sixth grade. And I talk about him in my book. And he was Nigerian directly from Africa. His family moved to the white neighborhood where I was being bused to go to school. So that was my first time meeting a Black person who was from Africa. I didn't know it at the time, but I was unlearning. And he would mess with us a lot. There's actually a TikToker now. She'll take like these real foolish comments people say about Africa. And they'll be like, they'll say, do you all have air conditioner in Africa? And she'll say, no, we don't. We wait for the village elephants to come. And she'll say something <laughs> real silly like right. that. And she says with a straight face. He would play with us like, oh, yeah, I got this grass from a lion in our village. And just a little stuff like that. And I was unlearning though, at the same time, understanding that all I saw was the starving kids commercials. Oh, they showed the flies on their face. That's all y'all showed us. That- that's all I saw about Africa. We had so much in common. That took me to college to want to take African courses. And even now, because my primary focus is Black American history, I'm relearning. So I, lo- I look at that as I was taught wrong about myself. We're all fed the same lies about each other. And talk about feeding. Say something if you heard. You need to finish your food. Don't waste food because children in Africa are yep. starving. People still say it. Yep. Right. Leftover slave stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep mm-hmm. on with Children Africa. Mm-hmm. But see, that's the thing, Car. That wasn't a leftover slave thing to me. That was like marketing genius. Well, in my mind as well, not only just because of the African kids, but also the level of the poverty that we had. I say leftover slave stuff because we don't know where our next meal coming from. You better finish all that food. Like that essence just in the black community in general of finishing everything. It wasn't just the African kids, but I see exactly what you're saying. Like either way, it was all wrong. Literally, we never had an issue with food growing up for me. That part. The issue was, my mom used to say it, though. You need to finish your, clean your plate if children in Africa are starving. You're like, okay, how do we get that? The conditioning of, and Susan, help me with this as well. Do some white people feel like they they saved us? I've heard that before. This is actually a better situation than what we took you from. I've heard that as well. It transformed from our founding fathers, right? All of whom were slave owners. From being argued as being a necessary evil to being a positive good. It was exactly that argument by the time that abolitionists were saying, no, we this is horrible, we need to stop this. The response then was, no, this is, we've taken these, in quotation marks, savages, right? And we brought them to this country and we have Christianized them, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that mentality certainly keeps on down. stripped us yes. down of nothing. Yeah. And, you, and we're better for it, doggone it. And there were scholars of peace in Mali in the fourth century BC. So don't talk to me about bringing folks over. We should have been learning. And every indigenous culture that we colonized and then killed all that wisdom. Dr. Susan, how do you keep your bias in check? We all have biased minds. We get 20 to 30 million pieces of information a second, and we can only process 30 to 40 pieces of information. So our brains make shortcuts. So we understand that, right? And the way to deal with them is acknowledge that's how our brains work. We marry that with socialization. Then that's where discrimination, where prejudice attitudes come in. Jennifer Eberhardt, who's this amazing scholar at Stanford, talks about frictional theory that we just need to introduce friction when we have that thought, stop, take a beat, take a breath, and ask yourself, right? The other way to say it, which we use in our work, we have guideposts for how to change the way we talk about things, different conversational norms. And Parker Palmer introduced this. When things get difficult, turn to wonder. When you find yourself hearing something and you're starting to shut down, ask yourself, I wonder what happened to that person that brought them to that place. Or I wonder what my own reaction is teaching me then I need to learn. So turning to wonder, introducing friction, being humble. I was driving with my former partner who is a, a black man. We were late somewhere to a meeting. I said, can you put on the gas? He said, no, because, you know, if we get stopped, I might not be able to get home because of what the police might do. And this was not very long ago. And right. I just said it out of, wasn't even paying attention. Uh, mortified, really wished I could have eaten through the seat of my car. but. Just, you got it. okay, that was not good. I need to pay attention, but I also can't just stay in this place of guilt and I got to do something with it. I got to move forward and I got to help repair because guilt is not enough. Right. Love it. Love that. We have had the most amazing, it's been engaging, deep. super deep. I mean, like deep, deep over here. Right. It's been super deep, but it's also been funny. Thanks to you, Kara, because we've had some... <laughs> We've had some moments where I had to say, okay, it's okay, Ernest. You can go ahead and laugh. Right. Really. <laughs> yeah. What all you doing? You, we appreciate the fact that we, we can have balance had a time. the juxtaposition okay. of your social work, your activism, your great cause. Susan, you doing everything you can. Dr. Susan, correction for myself, Dr. Susan, you worked hard for that PhD. And then we cut through it and talk about pizza and whiskey. So it's a good balance, right? That's kind of what makes us Americans. <laughs> we can look at the hardships and learn the lessons and still be able to laugh. Right. That's a gift. There are so many more things we could talk about. Oh, so many things. Like, I have a checklist of things in my head I still <laughs> want to talk to y'all about. Right. However, comma, we have got to bring it to a close. We, we have go. so appreciated both of you. Yes, oh we'll have to have goodness. you guys back. I think we need Please to Please plan to come back. We appreciate you guys coming to the virtual red table. We love you to life, man. Thank you so Thank much. You. Where can people find you before yes. we let you go? Yes. Yeah, you all can follow me on all social media at MRCrim3. That's at Mr. Crim3, primarily TikTok and Instagram giving out education almost daily on that site. I also have ways in which you can enroll in my online Black History course. I have the book, Black History Saved My Life as well. Just always looking for ways to pour into our community and to people who are actively engaged in this work. So thank you all for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Dr. Susan. It was a delight and an honor. Always good to get into robust conversation with thoughtful, committed people. I'm old, so I don't have all that social media stuff that I should, I confess. So Glisten Group is the website for our company. And if you go to glistengroup.com, you can find you. Absolutely. Y'all are fantastic. And in earnest, it was just an honor and a privilege to be with you. Thanks for y'all's work. What a great conversation. We're going to take a short break right now. And when we return, we'll share our top five takeaways from this episode. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. 
Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again, the First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances, and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so glad we could have that conversation with our guest. And now it's time to share our thoughts. So presenting, da-da-da-da, Cara and Tracy's Top 5 Thoughts. I love this. This is one of my favorite segments. This is the part of the show where we speed through five thoughts slash takeaways from the episode. Let's fire them off. So number five, no one is born racist, but kids are born into an unequal world. Dr. Kendi said this. I like that. Number four, when we hate a group of people, we are actually stripping away their humanity. Yeah, I agree. You think about that. And then hate, if you have a universal hate for someone, that's a really broad net to cast. a lot to carry around. You don't even realize how it's impacting you. Number three, if you have found your way into an echo chamber, get out. Get out. Get out. Get Get out. out. (laughs) We love that. That's good. Number three is good. Mm -hmm. And number two, embrace empathy, critical thinking, and diverse environments, especially for your kids. Oh, that's key. Yeah, you Mm. can't just Mm. be just around... Only one kind of people, you should definitely try to broaden your horizons, right? That's absolutely right. My little baby cousin just asked his mom, do you know any white people? And I was like, Robbo, you're not even in school yet. Right, right. At least he acknowledges. I think that's great. And number one, people are not the source of our pain. Conditions are. That's Mm. an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Don't fight each other. Fight the systems that perpetuate inequality. I love that. Yes. That's the whole message. That's the one. It's not the people. It's the conditions. It's the conditions. Y'all put us here. How can we get out? 
We want to know how you're feeling about this new season of Red Table Talk, and we are open to talk about anything with you all. So yes. send in your questions at Let's Red Table That at redtabletalk.com. Right. We can't wait to hear from you. And we are so appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe on iHeartRadio app and please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We want a five. Yes. We'll be back next week for another episode of Let's Red Table That. Hey, let's red table that. Hey. Let's red table that. <laughs> A big thank you to our executive producers, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Ellen Rackerton, and Fallon Jethro. And thank you to our producer, Kyla Kaneru. And our associate producer, Yolanda Chow. And finally, thank you to our sound engineers, Calvin Bayless and Devin Donahue. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.